Thank you for listening to All for Animals. We are a growing podcast. And if you're having as much fun as we are, please follow and like us on social media. You can find us at All for Animals Pod on Facebook and All for Animals Podcast on Instagram. We'll see you there. Hello and welcome. This is Rachel. And I'm Peter. And And this this is is All All for Animals. Animals. So thank you for joining us today, everybody. We have a very fun topic, or I guess I should say a very scary topic today. We're going to talk about some of the most dangerous animals. Um, I'm sure some of the answers are going to surprise me. You're going to (laughs) say some little, like some little um, arachnid or something that I would never even think of is one of the most dangerous animals on the Well, I think I'm ready. I think you should be pretty well. Like you might not have thought of these critters, but as soon as I start talking about them, I think you'll probably understand why they're dangerous. Sure. So let's dive on in. Excited. Our first critter is the humble mosquito. And did you just get itchy thinking about it? Because I most definitely did. (laughs) Well, you just (laughs) that's exactly what I meant. I knew (laughs) it was going to be some sort of little tiny deadly little thing Mm -hmm. and yes the mosquitoes act absolutely makes sense yes they are unfortunately a problem worldwide the only place that they are not in is antarctica i wouldn't want to be there either (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm I'm gonna rsvp no to that so there are over 25 hundred different species of mosquitoes which again i'm just going to be itchy for the rest of the day thinking about these little boogers and the universal consensus seems to be that these little teeny tiny mosquitoes are actually the world's most dangerous animal as far as their death toll from all of the numerous diseases that they carry and then pass along to people diseases such as dengue fever that uh, Zika virus that was all over the news a few years ago, and chikungunya virus, which is very, very rampant in all of like the entire African continent. Yellow fever, elephantiasis, and of course, malaria, which is, as most people are aware, the mosquito's most notorious contribution to the world. And I didn't know just how bad malaria is as far as death tolls but it's apparently said that it kills a single person every single 30 seconds that's a really high death toll yeah that's a crazy statistic wow well and one thing that you didn't mention how do our animals get yes that's actually i have that further down in my notes i was gonna say they're they're not picky at all They'll bite birds and mammals and even reptiles. I didn't even think that they would be capable of getting through reptile skin, but apparently they can. And they are, in fact, responsible for spreading the deadly heartworms that about 300,000 U.S. dogs are diagnosed with every single year. And now do you want to talk about how heartworms specifically gets transmitted into our pets? Yes, absolutely. So what happens is a an animal that is already infected with adult heartworms which means that they've had them for a while and they've been reproducing is bitten by a mosquito and in the blood that that mosquito then 
is carrying around in its belly, there's going to be microscopic eggs. And those eggs then get kind of spat out, I guess, at the next buffet that the mosquito decides to land on. And if it happens to be an unprotected dog, then they will lay those eggs, or I'm sorry, those eggs will make their way into the bloodstream and they start to mature. And it's the eggs aren't harmful in and of themselves if a dog is already being uh, kept on like the heartworm preventatives, they'll just die and go away. But right. if they aren't on any kind of preventative, then those those eggs are able to mature and turn into adults that then live in the various valves of the heart, clog it up, and over time cause congestive heart failure and all kinds of, like that really hacking deep cough and all of those nasty like almost asthma type symptoms just a boatload a boatload yeah. of of issues um yeah and i think that's kind of the misconception about why we keep our animals on a heartworm preventative mm -hmm. so the key word here is obviously preventative um when i was working at the animal hospital i would hear often that the animals not on heartworm, the reason they were not on any sort of heartworm preventative was because they just go outside to go potty. Yeah. Well, how many times have you gone outside for 10 minutes to bring in groceries or whatever and you get bit by a mosquito? So exactly what you just said, Rachel. Preventative isn't saying that they're not, they're not going to get exposed to the eggs, right? Mm -hmm. But it's to make sure that the heartworms, once they enter the body, are killed off immediately mm -hmm. and that they don't involve, evolve. And they don't get to... So that they don't evolve exactly Yeah, they don't get to the become the stat. invasive, scary adults and everything that actually cause all of the, the damage. Well, and not to mention heartworm treatment for adult heartworms in your animal, heartworm positive yes. dogs. It's extremely expensive. And very dangerous. And extremely, extremely painful. Yes. Yes, and dangerous. I actually just had a client who she had only like a two-month gap in her heartworm preventative. And her St. Bernard managed to come up heartworm positive. And thankfully, she's very on top of the vet visit. So it doesn't seem like she had been infected for very, very long. So hopefully her... Uh, parasitic load was pretty low, but the the treatment she said that I mean they had to go into the vet like every single week, and they had a series of I want to say it was like four or five different injections, and the very last one is apparently the most dangerous, and they were so worried that she wasn't going to be able to handle the the treatment because it essentially. I was given to understand it essentially amounts to like arsenic poison. Are you aware of what they use? So I haven't seen too many heart, heartworm positive dogs. Okay. Um, I, I do know kind of the basis of what you've mentioned. It's a series of shots that are both dangerous and painful. And I, I know there's a statistic out there or some sort of little fun fact a lot of vets like to post up around their clinic, which is heartworm treatment's extremely expensive. It is. I, I believe it's you can buy like five years worth of heartworm preventative in the cost of one treatment. Um, so it just doesn't make sense to not have your animal treated. Um, additionally, I know there's a lot of people out there that forget to give your 
your dogs that monthly chew. There's actually a newer injection called the Pro Heart. They started with the Pro Heart 6. Yes. Which was actually a six month injectable heartworm preventative. Well, now they do the Pro Heart 12. Oh, cool. And it's. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, for those that are forgetful, I really strongly recommend you talk to your vet about the ProHeart 6 or ProHeart 12 injections. Mm-hmm. Um, your vet will also be able at that time to get you a quote for it. And the nice thing is your vet will remind you when it's time to book that appointment. Generally, a lot of vets nowadays, just like our businesses, Rachel, yeah. send those reminder messages. And, you know, we're not even sponsored here at All for Animals by the Pro Heart 12, but um, they it is an amazing, amazing new preventative. It's a resource that people probably don't know about, and we want to make sure right. everyone knows. Because, I mean, honestly, even I, I've even been bitten by mosquitoes when I was inside of my own house. You know, those those little boogers, right. they're feisty. They, they find their ways inside. They'll get anywhere. Yeah. If you oh, ever open your door absolutely. or window for even half a second, then you run the risk of allowing a mosquito into your house. Right. And for me, just like all of the vets and everybody says, the prevention is so much easier on your wallet, first off, and second off, on your dog itself, that it's a no-brainer. My my dogs are all on heartworm prevention year-round because, I mean, as everybody in Illinois knows right now, especially, our weather cannot be dependable at all (laughs) so one day it might be too cold for mosquitoes the next it isn't so in order to just mitigate that risk entirely they stay on it all year round and i always recommend that to my clients as well because you just you cannot guarantee that absolutely every single mosquito is wiped out in weather that kind of bounces back and forth like this and I think it's a lot safer that way. Well, and a good way to look at it is I don't know how much heart guard costs. Let's say roughly tell you what, let me pull it up on my phone real quick. So I have I use the heart guard for both of my boys, uh, Magic and Miyagi. And I use heart guard for Logan as well, but he gets the bigger dose because he's a little bigger than my boys. And theirs is usually about fifty dollars for a six month supply. Yes. Okay. So we're talking about about $10 a month to keep your dog on preventative. Um, in my opinion, I just don't know that that's worth trying to skip a few months to yeah. save those chews, you know, for the future. And it does more than just prevent the the heartworms as well. It's also a regular wormer. So if your dog has any contact with any any grass or any other dog's period... And yes, remember, I said grass. Even if all they do is go onto their own grass, they will be exposed to other parasites like roundworms, hookworms, tapeworms, those types of things. And the regular heartworm preventative, or at at the very least, the heart guard that I use for my boys is also a regular dewormer to help keep anything like that in check. So it's it's multi-purpose. Especially if your dog's a poop eater. Yes. If your dog's a poop eater, most definitely want to have some sort of regular um, warming preventative. Mm-hmm. And additionally, you're going to want to do a stool sample, but <laughs> that's, a, that's a conversation for a different day. Yeah, you can talk to your um, vet about that. I ain't handling any poo at the moment. <laughs> so um, not super surprised with, our, with the number one most deadly animal. I could definitely. Mosquitoes was on top of the top of my list. Yeah. What is what is next up on your list, Rachel? Well, actually, for... I have just a couple more little tiny facts about mosquitoes. Um, so 
they they we we don't really have a way to hide from them since they are able to find us and our little animal companions by sensing our body heat and also seeking out the uh carbon dioxide that we all exhale and then also i found a quote from passport health usa talking about like travel advisories when it comes to bugs and it says they also like smelly feet so I guess they're very, very attracted to strong body odor as well. And that was just something I hadn't ever heard of before. So I figured the world needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> and they are, they are actually, mosquitoes are responsible for an estimated 2.7 million deaths worldwide every single year. And they are, like I said earlier, they're found everywhere in the world except for Antarctica. And they are extraordinarily adaptable in fact they're so unbelievably adaptable that that they're able to develop immunity to the pesticides that we as humans are using all the time to try and knock them out and so like they have to change up those pesticides all the time because the mosquitoes are just kind of like wafting through a a cloud of poison and they're like eh whatevs and I, that's incredible to me because they're so tiny, you wouldn't think that they'd be able to handle the anything, you know? Yeah, they're just, it's, it's, they're hardy. They are, they reproduce like mad. Mm -hmm. And, and the fact that they, they move about with flight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's the, the most you can do when you can't avoid something is to try to um, make it preventable. Yeah. So you're definitely going to want to make sure and use that bug spray, especially now that we're starting to get into those warmer months and keep those dogs on their heartworm preventative. It could very well save their life and it will definitely save your pocketbook. <laughs> okay, so that's all I have on mosquitoes. Do you want to venture a guess as to at least what kind of animal we're going to go with next? Like land... Sea, air, uh, I don't know. I would say I'm going to go with air. I think that deadly things travel through flight. Well. Is that fair to say? I mean, Is the mosquito was definitely <laughs> traveling through air. Yeah, but this time absolutely. we're going down into the water. So for my next dangerous animal, I chose the puffer fish. Hmm. And I don't know if you've ever, you, you, you like aquarium fish, correct? I've had puffers before, freshwater puffers. Yeah. Well, even freshwater puffers can also be dangerous, which was something that was news to me. I was not aware that they were, that there were any freshwater puffers that had any of this toxin in them, but uh, apparently they can. And many people have probably heard that puffer fish is sometimes considered, well, not sometimes, quite often considered a delicacy in Japan and that only special licensed chefs are allowed to serve it because of its potential for toxicity. But I'm not, I'm not sure if everyone is aware of just how toxic it can be and how excruciating the process of being poisoned by pufferfish can be. It's, it's known as fugu in Japan, F-U-G-U. And it's, it's touted as the world's most dangerous and delicious food, apparently. And those specially licensed chefs that I mentioned earlier, they are even required to taste 
the sushi before they can serve it to you. And that's a high stakes performance evaluation that I don't think I'm comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, you got to be a confident chef. Yeah. And it's... I tell you what. Yes. So this this toxin is called tetrodotoxin. It's kind of a mouthful. And it is so highly toxic to humans that it can actually be up to 1,200 times more poisonous than cyanide. Oh, wow. Yeah. A single puffer fish has enough toxicity to kill up to 30 full-grown humans. And as if that wasn't bad enough, we don't have an, an antidote. There's, there's nothing that can be done except for essentially trying to make sure that you still keep breathing if this happens to you. So um, I'm going to say that's not anything I want to mess around with. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It, um, according to my research, it takes the, whatever amount would stick to the head of a pin to kill a, a grown adult. So I'm just, yeah, I'm not going to be even trying that. <laughs> I was just curious if you were able to find a report on how often a deadly encounter with a pufferfish occurs you know annually or some sort of statistic around that well do you discover any of that upon your research i found i found really varying numbers on that which leads me to think that there might be something a little uh, sketchy going on with some of the the like i guess restaurants that are not necessarily licensed for fugu i read in some places that they were saying that it was the most common that fugu was the most common cause of um, any kind of food poisoning in japan but then i was reading in other places that it's actually quite difficult to find areas where you can even buy fugu or, or be served it at a restaurant or anything so it, it i'm not entirely sure so i'm i'm not willing to uh to say for sure if i know the annual deaths so i'm just i don't know if if the if there's enough information out there from reputable sources for me to be able to tell you if there's actually a a solid number on the death toll but it does seem like no matter what the actual death toll is it seems like a risk i would not be willing to take well right we as a, you know we as humans consume all types of you know sea life and poultry and da da da, mm -hmm. da. let's stay away from eating this stuff that has potential to kill us yes <laughs> exactly like given right yeah and the thing is here too i found out that over 60 percent of all fugu poisonings end in death oh wow after ingest ingesting the tetrodotoxin your only hope the only thing that could maybe save you is if you are put on a ventilator in less than 60 minutes and even that is not a guarantee that's just i mean mind-boggling to me i would never be willing to risk my life like that for a piece of food that's insane right right i like trying new food but not that no much. definitely not <laughs> and so if a person eats improperly prepared fugu and i found out that so i thought that there was like one specific organ inside of a puffer fish that produced this toxin and it was just that that had to be removed but it's that's actually not the case it's in a bunch of the internal organs and even in their eyes so you have to make sure that your chef knows exactly how to fillet that fish without even grazing any of the the liver 
the ovaries and the eyes are apparently the worst culprits for storing that tetrodotoxin. And if they even just poke it the wrong way, then it can release some of that into the the uh, actual flesh of the fish. And you wouldn't even know until either the chef who was supposed to taste it before you dies or you do. Right. And the thing is too, if a person eats improperly prepared fugu, symptoms don't necessarily appear right away. So even if the chef is is actually tasting it like he's supposed to, it kind of doesn't really do anything to help you. He'll just be in the bed next to you dying alongside you because right, exactly. it's going to take Little about Yeah. It'll take about 20 minutes to 2 hours to for the first symptoms to actually start to appear and man when I tell you those symptoms are terrifying. I, I was I was like getting sweaty and spooked when I was trying to write it down because I was like, Oh dear Lord, I don't ever want anything like this to happen to me. So it starts with an intense tingling sensation on your tongue and mouth. And that's due to the poison killing neurotransmitters that allow your tongue to translate like hot and cold and everything. And then you're going to start to experience dizziness and nausea intense headaches and vomiting and then after that begins the difficulty with breathing and a total loss of all motor functions along with the autonomic functions the things that we have no control oh, over such as your heart rate digestion right. and all of your other involuntary functions like breathing oh jeez and at that point this person will also be completely paralyzed but still entirely conscious and aware of the torture that is happening to them until the poison actually finally kills them up to 24 hours later and oh, that just made me like it unlocked the fear of like waking up during a surgery or something being unable to move or scream or anything but knowing exactly what's happening to you the whole damn time it's utterly nightmarish i can't i can't even fathom why anybody would want to try this so needless to say i'm thinking fugu sushi is just never going to be worth the risk of such a painful and torturous death yeah right and sushi ain't even that great anyway yeah <laughs> and just in case anyone was wondering you don't actually have to eat the puffer fish in order for the toxin for it to harm you if a puffer fish feels threatened and turns themselves into their little pokey balloon, their spines will also ooze the toxin. So if you touch or step on them, you know, if you're out in a tide pool or something, you would also potentially be in trouble. So I thought that was interesting because I thought you had to eat it in order for it to be toxic. But you, apparently you can't even touch the dang things without them potentially being able to kill you. Right. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, and uh, did I say, too, that almost all species of pufferfish have some level of that tetrodotoxin in their their bodies? I can't remember. I don't know if it was that was specifically said, though you did mention that the freshwater puffers... Yeah, they can have it. Right. Well, that sucks. Yeah. These puffers are so cute. They are. <laughs> well, and I'm cute fairly certain deadly. there are laws, at least in the U.S., that venomous and poisonous critters aren't technically legal to sell so i think the ones that you can find at like pet stores don't don't quote me on that but i'm fairly certain the ones that you can find at pet stores stores have to be toxin free but i'm not entirely certain and i was having trouble finding that out for sure so any guesses on our next critter 
This one, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's significantly larger than our first two. Would it be like a like a a giant mammal, like a bear or a moose or it is a giant an elephant. It is a giant mammal, but it isn't any of those three. It would be a kangaroo. <laughs> those things are kind of vicious. Nope. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you, it is the hippopotamus. Oh, the hippopotamus. Yeah. Did you know that they are dangerous? Um, I've heard. Yeah. I mean, they seem dangerous. You see, you see those videos of them crushing, uh, like the watermelon. Yeah. It. Right. <laughs> So most of the time when people think of a hippo, you're you're usually just kind of thinking of them lazily drifting around in the water. But I'm willing to bet you didn't know that they are actually one of the deadliest animals in Africa. And in fact, some sources actually are referring to them as the deadliest animals in Africa, with the only exception being the mosquitoes that we talked about earlier because of the insane diseases and right. numbers that they have so do we have a death toll a hippo death toll yes that we do do you have any guesses no okay i don't i don't even want to guess i don't want to be that far off they are actually considered <laughs> to be the entire world's most deadly land mammal and they kill around 500 people every single year and just to give some context on that number lions which everybody just kind of knows to be afraid of, they kill less than half of that number. And cougars, 20 times fewer people. So that's a big, big disparity there. And they're not even, they're not even a predatory animal, which is why most people seem to kind of discount them as any kind of, of threat. They are mostly herbivorous and they don't want to attack people to like eat them or anything mm -hmm. the problem with them is that they are extraordinarily territorial and very aggressive about that territory so what makes them so aggressive is that highly territorial nature and while they don't want to fight without feeling threatened to hippos you are essentially creating a threat simply by being in their space and even even being in a boat is not a way to stay safe. And I'm going to place a little trigger warning here because we're going to talk about some children, unfortunately, being killed. In 2014, a single hippo attacked a boat carrying school children, and it killed all 12 of them as well as their teacher in Niger. So let me repeat that for the people in the back. A single hippo killed 13 people. And they've even been known to attack cows that simply happen to just wander to their water source for a drink. So they are easily spooked, highly aggressive, and they are huge. Do you have any idea how much a hippo weighs? Probably like, what, two tons? 4,000 pounds? They, they typically weigh between one and a half and four tons. And they are actually the third largest land mammal in the entire world after elephants and white rhinos. And, and they're fast. They are. I was just they're about to say, just because they're large and round yeah. doesn't mean that they're slow either. In right. short bursts, they can actually run up to 20 miles per hour, while your average human is only capable of running at max up to about 10 miles per hour. Right. So... Well, and they tread water very well, too. Well, and actually, I was just about to tell you, do you, you, you said that they tread water. Do you know that that's actually a myth? Oh, really? Yes. So they do spend about 16 hours a day in water, though they actually cannot swim at all. Instead, 
they let themselves kind of sink to the bottom of whatever lake or river they're in and they walk along the bottom. But even though they can't swim in the usual sense, they are deceivingly agile in the water and on land. And they can stay- How long can they hold their breath? For? Yeah, they can stay submerged <laughs> for three to five minutes without the need for a breath. Oh, wow. And that makes it even easier for them to move around undetected and sneak up on you. And another absolutely terrifying fact is that they are incredibly social. And so if you think that you are only seeing a single hippo in an area, it's a pretty safe bet that you're not. And in fact, they tend to travel in groups or bloats. A group of hippos is called a bloat, which I think is just adorable. Um, <laughs> they travel in these groups of 10 to 30 hippos. And the males especially, or the females with babies, are extraordinarily extra aggressive because, you know, they're either right. trying to mate or they're trying to protect their babies. Right. And they also... They hold the Guinness World Record for the largest mouth of all land mammals, or all, I'm sorry, all land animals. Their mouths can open up to 180 degrees, and that translates to being about four feet wide. That's just insane. Like, you could crawl into a hippo's mouth. Well, yeah, you said, have you ever seen those videos of them eating pumpkins and yes. watermelons? And oh my gosh, could you imagine the jaw strength that one of those animals has? It's insane. What, do you know what their bite is? I mean, they'll bite through a, a watermelon like we bite through a grape. I mean, yeah. it's insane. Their jaw strength is 1800 PSI. So that's insane. Like, everybody yeah. talks about a dog's jaw strength being scary. And it definitely is. I mean, you and I have both seen the kind of damage that dogs can inflict on, on people, but their jaw strength is only about 230 to 250 PSI. So massive difference, like yeah. exponential difference. So yeah, they're just, there's, I, I feel like it's kind of almost like that cornered animal in the back of a crate or something with hippos where they're just like so on edge about their territory that it's too easy to spook them and make them feel threatened and that just makes them extraordinarily dangerous right okay so that's all of the facts that i have for hippos as if that wasn't enough because they're scary and nightmare <laughs> fuel but we have one more critter today and do you have any guesses Give me another hint. Okay. This one's another land mammal, but it is smaller than the hippo by a lot. Another land. Is it a, is it a snake? No. Nope. It's a mammal. I've, I'm out of guesses. <laughs> I'm so out. this one, I do love. It's, it's kind of in a different vein. It's very, very dangerous, but not in the way that you might be thinking. And that would be mm -hmm. the deer. Oh. So you might be wondering if I've lost my mind, but bear with me. <laughs> they are not dangerous for actually trying to attack people. But unfortunately, they are dangerous due to human roads encroaching on their right. natural habitats. Right. And they are responsible for over 200 deaths and around 30,000 injuries every year in the U.S. alone. Yeah. I know that for me, at least, there are several areas along my grooming route that I have to be like ridiculously cautious to avoid hitting deer. I see them all the oh, time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and out, I was raised in a small town yeah. where that was everything. You got these hilly country roads, watch for deer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one, actually, because it's not the deer, it's, it's themselves. 
it's just how they coexist on earth with yes. you know like human day-to-day life absolutely well and they're just you don't think about them being deadly because they're just kind of goofy dopey little animals that <laughs> you know wander <laughs> out onto a main road so it turns out actually that a lot of people do think that deer are either too stupid or too stubborn to move out of the way when a vehicle is barreling down the road towards them but that's not the case at all there's there's actually a scientific phenomenon that keeps deer from being able to actually see what it is that's coming towards them because deer are crepuscular meaning that they are most active around dawn and dusk their eyes are not adjusted to sudden bright bursts of light they're adjusted to be able to see in really low light situations right a deer's eyes have more rods which perceive light than cones which perceive color so they can see Mm -hmm. better during their more active hours and when a car's headlights just like blast into their lights the deer becomes temporarily blinded by that intense light and they're going to just freeze and panic in place there until their eyes can finally adjust a little bit and they can once again find their way in the dark but the problem there is obviously there isn't always enough time or space for the driver of the vehicle to safely avoid that deer and i saw several references to those like dilating eye drops you sometimes have to get at the the eye doctor Mm -hmm. and then you have to wear those goofy sunglasses all day and your vision is super blurry right and they they said that that was kind of a similar comparison to what happens when deer when when you get that whole quote unquote deer in headlights reaction right and and i know that i have hated having to have my eyes dilated i've had to have it done a few times and it's extremely disorienting and that's even when i know what to expect and i've had time to prepare for it you know i made the appointment i knew that this was going to happen so of course it's going to take an animal off guard they don't have any of that prior understanding or warning you know it's Mm -hmm. it's just sudden and out of nowhere and it's not something that naturally occurs so it's not something that an animal just living their their life out in the forest is going to be able to just know to prepare for. Yeah. Right. Right. And I actually found too. Interesting. According to headlights.com, when compared to human standards of vision, deer are actually legally blind. And Oh, wow. Yeah. So according to research conducted by the University of Georgia, deer have vision of 2200. So that means that they can see something that's 20 feet away as if it were 200 feet away. And that is the same level of vision that would make a human legally blind. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Learned a lot about deer. Exactly. Learned a lot about deer today. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> hoping that we're going to kind of help to dispel all of the, the myths about them being, you know, too stupid or too stubborn or just, you know, being a, a problem. They aren't trying to be a problem you've they have a lack of good vision and the element of surprise and along with the glaring fact that we as humans are encroaching on their natural habitat right and there are some actually really cool efforts being made though to not only help the deer but basically all native wildlife in heavy traffic areas to be able to navigate their world more safely and do you know where i'm going with this peter 
I think so. Continue. Let's see if I'm right. Okay. So all over the world, humans are trying to look out for animals as well as the humans who might encounter those critters by constructing wildlife bridges and tunnels over busy roads. Right. So the bridges yep. are essentially just like any other overpass, but it's then covered in native nature. So all of the usual plants and and flowers and trees and stuff like that that would be in in a normal like naturally occurring wooded area are then brought onto these spaces to make them more familiar and more quiet and appealing and helpful to the animals that are going to be using them and people actually don't have access to these spaces once they have been finished like built just the animals, which also helps to keep the animals from being like spooked away from these these places so that they feel comfortable enough to actually use them. Right. And the tunnels underneath those roads are usually actually invisible to the public as they really should be so that, that the critters don't get spooked off. And therefore, all of the really small and usually more slow moving and shy creatures, such as like turtles and even trout in some areas. These, mm -hmm. these tunnels have already actually been shown to reduce, shall we say, um, vehicular encounters with wildlife, 85 to 95%. And that is just incredible. And I am thrilled that it's becoming more and more popular because, I mean, honestly, I mean, I knew that they were effective, but I had no idea that it was that effective. And that's just amazing. If it's that easy to do, I'm, I'm hoping that it becomes more and more and more commonplace yeah no kidding especially with those those numbers yeah no one likes hitting the little ones either no one likes hitting no. squirrels or skunks you always feel bad you always feel bad i usually i i try to avoid it but usually if, if i do hit the animal i do check just to make sure it's gone because i don't want to lay there you know have a lay there and suffer yeah so one of the things that has made this a little bit more difficult for er certain areas to, I guess, receive the funding needed is that fencing is a very important part of the equation that helps to guide the animals to the bridges and tunnels. And it can be pretty cost prohibitive, but you can't argue with the results of 85 to 95% of reduction in vehicular collisions with animals. And they are literally all showing just how effective just giving our wildlife a safe place to cross can be not only for the animals but for us too and the costs to build these structures are actually apparently paying themselves off over the course of about a decade by reducing the need for reconstruction after animal collisions so it honestly right. it honestly same seems to me like a giant win-win and i think it's a fantastic idea and i can't wait to see more of it being implemented absolutely so that's my whole spiel on dangerous animals and again i keep finding things that i'm gonna probably turn into a series and i'll probably do some more installments on these because there's so many of them and i like finding the ones that you wouldn't think of right off the bat because absolutely yeah, everybody any, thinks of a rattlesnake as dangerous but not everybody thinks right. of a deer right if any of you listeners out there have a dangerous animal, obviously we didn't cover a whole lot today. 
there's a whole world of dangerous animals out there. And if you guys have a specific animal that you think is kind of um, an undercover dangerous animal or, or um, again, something that we just wouldn't think of, feel free to write us in. I like that term, the undercover, <laughs> undercover dangerous animals. Yeah, undercover, right? Yeah, feel free to write us in and um, maybe we can create a, you know, a research topic around that animal. Absolutely. Feel free to submit your ideas for dangerous or I'm sorry, I'm going to use your term there, Peter. Undercover dangerous animals <laughs> to all for animals podcast at gmail.com. And thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next week. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Till next time, pet people. Bye.